Welcome to Pop Psych 101, where we, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad and licensed psychologist Dr. Haley Roberts, break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the pop culture and social media landscape. We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad here with my co-host, Dr. Haley Roberts. Hello, hello. Hello, Haley. We are into episode two for us of the HBO series In Treatment. Um, But for people who are just starting this journey with us, we are going patient by patient and not... Mm -hmm. uh, uh, episode by episode chronologically in which they, you know, appeared on HBO. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for today's episode, we're going deep on uh, Colin, which is the second patient um, that Dr. Brooke Taylor sees over the course of season four, which is the most recent series, or I should say recent season of In Treatment. Yep. So we'll be chatting about Colin. Uh, and last week we did Eladio. And then the next two weeks it'll be Layla. And then we'll look into Brooke herself. Yes. And, you know, this is a little bit special for us in the sense that we are going deep into the actual therapy session analysis. So we hope that you all enjoy this as much as we do. We are getting really deep into the weeds and we're not even going to do a silly, funny intro thing. We just kind of want to jump right into it because there's so much to discuss between Dr. Taylor and her patient, Colin, that we figured we should, you know, take a quick break up front and then jump right in. Absolutely. All right. So with that, we're going to take a quick break here and then we'll come back with HBO's In Treatment. Hey everyone, Ryan here. No ad this week, but a quick request. We would love to know where you follow us. So if you wouldn't mind taking 10 seconds while you're listening to today's episode, reach out to us on your social media of choice. Say hi, say what's up, request an episode topic. We would love to hear from you. And now back to the episode. Pop Psych 101 discusses mental health as it is portrayed in pop culture media. And because of this, we often cover sensitive topics that can be triggering for some listeners. We also delve into the characters and plots of these stories, and therefore, spoilers abound. So please, use your discretion as you listen to the rest of the episode. All right, Haley, this is another fascinating Therapeutic relationship between Dr. Brooke Taylor and one of her patients. I hope not all of her patients in her fictional world are this dramatic. I hope she has, you know, some nice, you know, balanced therapeutic relationships because this one is not that. I am starting to see a pattern forming with this woman's choices. And boy, am I running out of patience for her and her patients. (laughs) Like I... Oh, man. I started week one being like, hell yeah. All the complaints we had with Eladio, good, good. She knows how to do therapy and have boundaries. And and then I kept watching and that turned very sad for me. <laughs> it did. And, and right, especially with someone who's mandated into treatment, you would expect, mm-hmm. okay, this person, this therapist especially is going to be on their best behavior you know they're monitored to some certain degree and and being you know linked in with the legal system Mm -hmm. you're going to have great boundaries it's going to be really structured four sessions in and out you know and then moving on and uh, we did not get that no certainly not and i mean court mandated sessions are always tough i think any type of mandated sessions are always tough even if they're parent mandated for a teenager But yeah, usually there's like a very clear understanding about like what is going to happen. And that certainly didn't come up as clearly as we would have expected. Yeah. And, and, you know, and maybe this is a good place for us to start because it is a difficult way to establish a therapeutic relationship of trust and, and safety and security where, you know, right up front, we get this Collins, is that supposed to be his probation officer perhaps or his, Uh 
yeah someone who appointed court appointed person yeah um, who's essentially dropping him off at therapy yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) essentially dropping him off for his first session sort of introducing him giving him a little bit of his backstory right in front of him Mm -hmm. and it really sets things off in a tilted way of like here's he here he is he's your problem now like kind of good luck with him he's got this history of violence like i hope you're gonna take care of him yeah really really odd way to establish that dynamic absolutely right and and she kind of is just like oh man you know and then they play that off by being like i'm a case manager i have way too many people i'm just burnt out but then as the weeks go on we learn like maybe she's a little exhausted because colin is colin oh yeah i mean a couple episodes in, she uh, calls him out as a narcissist, and mm-hmm. we kind of see the crumbs for where that forms in these earlier episodes, oh, where yeah. it's pretty clear that, you know, he's pretty dishonest, um, or at the best, you know, manipulator of the truth. Mm-hmm. You're so kind. But, and I have to say, you know, I've, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I've, I've worked with um, mandated individuals as mm-hmm. well. And I think that there is this natural distrust of the therapist yeah. where it's mm-hmm. like, well, whose side are you on? Uh, yeah. Meaning the therapist, you know, are you supposed to like catch me in a lie and see mm-hmm. what crimes I've committed so you can yeah. keep me in probation or keep me in the system? Or can I actually talk to you? I think that's mm-hmm. a very reasonable stance for someone who's made it into therapy to take. Absolutely. And I think it's super important in in those treatments to be really honest about the circumstances. And there's one part, I think it's like week three or week four, where Colin says to her that winning her over is the goal of his therapy because she has to sign off at the end. And then she undermines that idea by being like, no, I'm just here to help you. And and that doesn't play a role at all. And like, BS, you can't, of course, that's Uh, the context with which therapy is being done that ultimately she well and then a a week or whatever later she uses that against him right first she refuses to sign off then she signs off because he was a good boy so to not be honest about the circumstances that are bringing mandated individuals into therapy is actually an undermining it undermines the treatment, I think. Well, for sure, because in in your best case therapy scenario, non-mandated, there is a power dynamic in play, right? Yeah. Yep. It's I'm coming to you. You are supposed to help me and, you know, go ahead, cure me, fix me, you know, are some, you know, <laughs> frequent themes. Right. Yeah. And now in this in this mandated scenario, we have uh, free me more or less, right? Yeah. Let me not be uh, followed by the legal system anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it was interesting in these early episodes. We even have the sort of the the chair dynamic, which I thought was really funny. Honestly, you know, a, a therapist, uh, Doctor Doctor Taylor, was having some back pain, mm-hmm. and she asked her patient if it would be mm-hmm. okay if she sat on the couch and and then we have him kind of jokingly pretending to be the therapist you know it's a mm-hmm. very cute light let's crack jokes about the therapy power dynamics kind mm-hmm. of relationship but it was a sign of what was to come in this relationship yeah well and one of my notes in that moment was did her back really hurt and then later on oh he- interesting So I had that feeling was like, I think she's doing this on purpose because immediately from the very beginning, there is a power dynamic play between them. And we can talk more about the power dynamic and the power plays between them. But this sitting in the chair thing, and a few episodes later, she's kind of calling him out on manipulating truths in order to get a reaction out of someone or something like that. And he responds, oh yeah, how's your back doing? And she doesn't answer. So I was like, wait a minute. He also thought that maybe she was lying about her back pain. Hmm. I have to say, I did not consider the possibility of her (laughs) sort of manufacturing that uh, dynamic. But that's that's a great question. I, I, I don't, you know, and I guess this is, Maybe, you know, now that we've watched uh, Dr. Taylor for all these episodes now, my general impression of her is that she's actually not that thoughtful or manipulative, that she's sort of more impulsive and because of her 
poor boundaries sort of is not that uh, sort of devious in planning yeah. out the sort of interactions that are happening. But, you know, I, I guess I wouldn't put it past her. <laughs> I know. They also, like, don't – they also, like, suggest that she's, like, very good at her job, which there are moments where I'm like, yeah, girl, you're doing it. <laughs> and then she just kills it by – doing everything else horribly wrong. But yeah, I I was also very just like intrigued by, you know, like, oh, was that on purpose to kind of shift that power dynamic it to be kind of like, oh, you want to be in charge? Let's put you in charge. Let's let's try this out. But then the next week when he immediately sits in her chair and she's like, no, absolutely not. That was when I was like, okay, maybe, maybe not. And I think that's what's so interesting is she has boundaries with him that she didn't have with Eladio. Like there's moments where she, you know, sets these very specific boundaries with him. Sometimes I think to the detriment of therapy, like there's moments where he goes to like talk about something and she goes like, I'm done talking about that and things like that, which I think is problematic, but it's super interesting. This power play between the two of them, like who's winning and who's, yeah, who's winning, I think is what it feels like. Well, and it starts from the very beginning before, you know, they even really start the work, right? Uh, Colin gets up from the couch and walks around and he's clearly trying very hard to not talk about anything serious. And again, this is this is a common thing, whether not, not just in mandated therapy relationships, but in therapy in general. It's like, mm -hmm. how many different things can I talk about other than the painful thing? Mm hmm. Yeah. And he does it in a specific way. Absolutely. Colin does it repeatedly, mm -hmm. you know, and that's that's a, a power dynamic that we see between these two as well. And I think and with Eladio, we saw Dr. Taylor's anger come out and it does feel like she gets, I don't know, angry is not necessarily the right word, but passionate in a way that made me uncomfortable. She uses I statements way more than I ever have. <laughs> And I think that felt to me like she was trying to assert her power, her maybe even her dominance within the relationship. You know, she said things like, I wrote a couple of them down, you know, mm -hmm. he had a bad habit of apologizing and she she made it a point of saying, I forgive you oh, or I forgave I you, which I found interesting. Oh. She also said at one point, I don't like to punch down. She yelled at And all him. these sorts of comments felt very personal. Yeah. There was one moment where she said, yeah, she said, it will be upsetting to me if you lie to me. And then she I wrote said, that down too. Yep. this is very disturbing to me that you would take it to this level. Like, whose therapy is this? <laughs> whose feelings? Right. It's, it feels like it's about her. Yeah. And I definitely think that there are moments in therapy where it can be really powerful if the therapist speaks to how they are made to feel by the patient. So she could have said something like, finding out that you've lied to me and, and changed the truth to make yourself look better makes me wonder when I can trust you. And it kind of makes me feel off kilter. And I wonder if other people feel that way with you too, right? Like that can be really meaningful saying yes. like, I'm noticing Absolutely. this is my reaction to you. How does that play a role yes. in your life? But she doesn't do that. Hers is like, it's all about me in this powerful chair over here. Yeah. And, and you know, you identified some, some things that you saw in her that you liked. And I certainly had some moments with her along those lines as well. I really liked um, the sort of line and, and direction that she was working on with him around i think the quote more or less was the stories that you create aren't your truth or aren't true but they can help you understand things about yourself more yes. something more or less like mm -hmm. that because he did a couple times sort of come to these sort of self-statements that were formed by some of his negative experiences you know mm -hmm. whether it's like i want people to like me right mm -hmm. you know the things that they that she pointed out with him about mind reading you know sort of wanting to feel like he can kind of predict how people react to him yeah he recognizes about himself that he likes to be a storyteller he likes to kind mm -hmm. of command the room and these are stories that he tells about himself that obviously help him feel good. They give him a sense of emotional security, but it also helps him project in, in a way that he wants to be seen. So mm -hmm. I thought they, all that work was really, uh, I thought, really solid. So it yeah. was clear that, you know, Brooke has skills, mm -hmm. 
but it feels like they a lot of times they just get lost in the interpersonal tension she finds herself in and this is not you know if it was a one-off i would say oh like oh that was a weird patient dynamic but it feels like a pattern it absolutely does and i think the frustrating piece is there is this description in the show about her doing good work with her patients unfortunately she shatters the structure of therapy time and time again in a way that I don't think you can do therapeutic work. And that was actually a question that I had written down with you after the chaotic week five, where I said, this is being framed as good, meaningful, therapeutic interaction. Could that possibly be the case within this context? And Mm. I sat there thinking about it. And to be honest, I watched it this afternoon, so I didn't sit there thinking about it that long. (laughs) (laughs) But I did sit there thinking about like, if the structure of therapy isn't there, and the, and I mean that in terms of like it being focused on one person and also there being boundaries, um, and the therapist essentially being a muted version of themselves, is it possible to have truly therapeutic breakthroughs? And then part of me was like, yeah, because sometimes people have therapeutic breakthroughs with their friends and but I don't know. Like, I don't know under the like context of therapy, if it's done poorly, if you could truly have meaningful results. Yeah. And I guess we also have to sort of qualify what done poorly means, right? Because I think I know some people have a concept of therapist or therapy styles as like tough love. And I think I, you know, you know, people that I have talked to about this kind of in some circles have described Uh, Dr. Taylor as like, you know, a therapist who gives tough love. She's real. She's honest. She's Mm -hmm. raw. Like she's, you know, she's able to kind of mix it up with people. So I've worked in a uh, setting in which people, a lot of people were mandated, which was substance Mm -hmm. abuse. Mm -hmm. And it was also a residential setting that uh, historically came from a therapeutic community background. So for people who don't know, um, therapeutic communities or TCs, were kind of rooted in this very much AA, but also tough love mindset where you break people down before you build them back up. And in many cases, like this was the therapy style is sort of like, not necessarily like intentionally insulting people, but, you know, quote unquote, telling them the truth or, you know, really sort of what would be the phrase like being overly harsh blunt. honesty or yeah. yeah, yeah, all these sorts of things. I don't think she even does that. Like, I think she is overly blunt. However, I don't mind those moments when she said like, you know what, like I, we don't have much time, so I'm going to get pretty direct with you right now. And she lays it out. I'm all for that Mm -hmm. moment. It's the fact that it gets lost in her emotionality and her lack of boundaries and, and, you know, essentially you know, cuss word coming up, but like her shit, (laughs) right? Like that's what it gets caught up in. Yeah. But but that I guess that's where it can be difficult for therapists to find the line, right? Is because and also in the in the therapeutic community dynamic, it was like this whole concept around, well, the community is supposed to be your new family and not that you're being reparented to that extent, but mm-hmm. but let's kind of model what a healthy therapy or a healthy family dynamic would be. And yeah. sometimes that will include people treating you this way, even if it was the sort of harsh, blunt reality type stuff. Yeah. And and I do think that comes from an emotional place, because if therapists are not honest about themselves, then we can't kind of give that useful reflecting feedback of, mm-hmm. I wonder how people react to you when you're acting this way, yeah. right? Because this mm-hmm. is what's coming up for me. I think we have to have that emotional self-awareness. Yeah, I agree. And also, this is a show, and so it's all done for dramatic effect. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> However, like I I often say to people, first and foremost, I'm a human, and then I'm a therapist. Yep. However, you got to be a therapist. And with Eladio, she was a mom. Sure, she was mm-hmm. pretending to be a therapist, but only when it worked in her favor. Otherwise, she was pretending to be a mom. And I don't know what role she's playing in – it feels like competitor. Like I think in this, Mm. this section of the series, it feels like a competitor because it's pretty clear, pretty early on that 
he thinks he's right. The thing that we end with, he thinks he's smarter than her and he's trying to manipulate her. He does it through being like, oh my gosh, you're so smart. You're so good at your job. Wow. Your place is amazing. He does it with compliments. And I think she gets caught up in that because then she's like, oh, I'm going to show him that he's not winning. Hmm. And truly there was only one moment where I felt like her extreme emotionality was justified. And it was when she finally started talking to him about race in the last episode and about oh yeah, how like the way that he was talking about race was not a- appropriate, right? Was, was steeped in privilege mm-hmm. and, and prejudice. Yep. And, and she got angry about it understandably as a black woman, but also as a human who can see privilege and prejudice. And to me, that moment, I was like, I would be so supportive of this level of emotionality because it's what's needed in that moment. But because she had gotten emotional at pretty much everything else he did, it to me, I was like, okay, well, this is just another moment of her getting worked up. And it feels like, how can you learn anything if everything you say your patient is or your therapist is getting upset with. And one moment he said to her, like, you said to me it was a safe space. And then you said shame on you for having his feelings. And she was like, I did nothing of the sort. And I was like, actually, I think you did that the entire time. Every time he lied, she shamed him for lying. Every time he said something inappropriate, not every time, but occasionally he said something inappropriate and she'd shame him for it. And, but then there were these weird moments where he would say like, Oh, I almost said an inappropriate word for a woman. And she playfully was like, Mm -hmm. I appreciate your restraint. And I was like, good. That's a good way of saying, I don't approve of that word. And also I'm going to give you the pass on it. She didn't have enough of those moments, I felt. Yeah, because it's clear that she has some degree of self-awareness of the impact that Colin is having on her, right? After the first episode, she immediately goes and pours herself a drink. Mm -hmm. Red flag. Mm -hmm. But, Mm -hmm. you know, we we get that to mean this person was a lot or this person, you know, had an impact on her and she decided that that's what she needed to do after the session. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. But those sort of moments felt like they also escalated after each session. So after the second session, she just drops an (laughs) F-bomb. The third session is a little bit of doorknob therapy, which um, I'm happy to uh, sort of explain in a second here. But but also when we start to get into like the really deep manipulation and lies that Colin is doing when he tries to sort of suggest like, do I have your permission to invite my ex-wife and all that? And then obviously we have you know, quote unquote, session five, um, which Mm. obviously is not not a session, session, um, but we'll get into. (laughs) And and it's, you know, and I guess I I watched the end of those episodes and I'm like, man, okay, she must know that this is going sideways. So what is she doing to, you know, sort of safeguard or set Mm -hmm. better boundaries to prevent these sort of interactions from continuing to escalate in the way that they are. Mm -hmm. And it never really feels like her approach changes. Mm -hmm. I agree. At the end of week four, the line that I wrote was, it's a therapist's responsibility to maintain the structure of therapy, particularly in the final session. Yes. At that time, it was supposed to be the final session. Mm Mm-hmm. Which also is problematic for her to not let him know that it's not going to be the final session. Like that is, again, it feels like a power play. It feels like her being like, I have the response. I have the power to choose whether you have to come back or not without telling you about it. And then when he shows up at her place, she goes, I don't have to justify myself to you. And I'm like, no, you kind of (laughs) do. Like, I think, I, I guess there are a lot of approaches to therapy where the therapist doesn't explain themselves and doesn't explain their approach. Those to me feel very old school. And so I think more frequently you'll find today where a therapist is more likely to explain themselves. And like, for instance, I do that a lot. I'll often say like, well, the reason why I do this is because. Mm -hmm. And so I think for her kind of being like, I don't have to tell you if I'm signing off or if I'm not signing off feels like she's playing his game back at him. Yeah, I struggle with that fourth session, the session that was supposed to be the final session as well, because 
you know, they start off on this foot of, is your ex-wife coming? Did you even invite the ex-wife? Mm-hmm. You know, here's what I want to talk about because it's our last session. And then he's sort of, I think very fairly as a patient in the session is sort of like, well, that's not where my head is at. Like, I, I'm, this is what I'm thinking about. This is what I'm feeling. And you and I talked briefly about this before we started recording the episode, just sort of sense of, you know, who is supposed to be doing the leading? Mm-hmm. Not that it has to be one way all the time, but you said before, especially in a last session, you know, I think, it, and I agree with you that it is on the onus is on the therapist to make sure that it is very clear either A, this is our last session, so mm-hmm. let's make sure we, you know, to the best extent that we can, tie can a nice bow such. on this and yeah. make sure you're stable moving forward. Um, or if not, here's why today won't be our last session and here's our plan moving forward. And we didn't get a lot of that. It was a lot of push and pull and the same sort of power play that we've been talking about. Yeah. We got none of that. So yeah, I guess, you know, <laughs> yeah. It's not I that know. we didn't get, a lo- like we didn't get too much of that. We got none of that. You know, she's, again, it's the same thing I complained about, and I'm doing a lot of complaining about her, but it's the same thing I complained about last week with Eladio, where she sets these boundaries and then she pretends as though she never set them. So she started the session kind of saying like, well, there are certain things that we're going to need to talk about before the end of the session. And then he's like, but I don't want to do that. And she's like, okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> she she does not hold firm to the expectations that she tries to establish. And this was most egregiously clear um, when he shows up in episode five, quote unquote, yes. session five. Uh-huh. He shows up at her door and she was very, again, forward, even vulgar to a certain extent with him about no, no, you can't come in, mm-hmm. maintain that boundary. And then, and I, I think this is just also a part of the problem of don't have your therapy office yeah. in your actual home. Mm-hmm. But that choice aside, the decision to then let him in kind of then felt like this slippery slope. It's like, okay, well, now you're here. Well, now we're having a chat while you wait for your car. Well, oh, now you went and grabbed a drink and I protested, but didn't actually stop you oh, look, now my boyfriend is here and I'm going to send him away so you and I can keep talking. It was just like, wow. And I'm going to drink the drink that you poured me. Every two minutes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Every every two minutes, it was another boundary being sort of like let go (laughs) into the wind. It was really wild to watch that. It was... uh, (laughs) I Okay, so let's, let's give her a little bit of flexibility. So... Okay. You and I would not have a, a a therapy session at our home. Let's say that we did. And sure. let's say that a patient shows up really late at night and we've told them to go away and it kind of gets to the point where it seems like they're like, okay, I'm going to go away. And then they're like, okay, but I really, really need to pee. And like, clearly he does, right? He's doing the potty dance. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, of course. Would you let him in? So see, I think for me... You know, because he makes the joke about, you know, going to the bathroom on her front yard. And it's like, you know, it's a really unfortunate situation. And I I hate that that you're in it, but I'll be able to clean up. And I I realize that that seems sort of callous. Yeah. Well, it's just like as soon as he admits that he's drunk, I just feel like I, I cannot risk this person in my home right now. Okay, so let's let's reframe it a little bit because I think the home piece sure. is making us a little uncomfortable, which makes sense. Let's say it's okay. your office. I think you're probably right about that. Yeah. Let's say yeah. you're in an office yep. and it's late at night and you're about to leave and go home and this patient mm-hmm. should not be here and they've shown up and they're drunk and they're it like, shows oh my up God, the I office. really need to pee. Yeah. Would you let them into the so office? So I think to, go to your point here, yes, I probably would allow them into the office to use the restroom. Yeah. Even if I was about to leave, I think that scenario I would be more comfortable yeah. with. It's still probably not like ethically the right thing to do, but you know, we paint this hypothetical. I could see myself letting them use the bathroom. Yeah. So yeah, I, probably. I think I I too would not want. I would never want a patient in my home ever. So that is off putting to me. However, I do think in that scenario, I would be like, fine, but then you've got to go. There will be no. Right chatting i like and i probably wouldn't even have a conversation with the person i'd be like okay you're done it's time to leave i'll see you next week and then if they had Mm -hmm. a conversation i'd be like she tries she tries to do that kind of but she engages right like he's like you're an asshole and then she's like you're an asshole and then he's like 
well, just let me. And she's like, no, we're having, and I'm like, no, don't, there's no conversation to be had here. Like get out (laughs) again. We've talked about how she tends to allow for quote unquote emergency or outside of session conversation. And so her boundaries there are a little bit more lax than say mine. Like I allow for general conversation, like when's our next appointment or can we reschedule or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. But my boundaries are like, we talk in session. And part of the reason why is you made a joke earlier, like week five. So this week where he shows up is not a quote unquote session. It absolutely is though. Right. Because. Oh, sure. Well, you have to document it. <laughs> you would yeah. have to document. So I had a, a yes. um, supervisor once who said, anytime you interact with a patient, it's a, a patient. I think he said like longer than three words or a certain amount of time. It's a session. And right. I was like, Th- that seems fair. Right. Which is why we don't interact with our patients at the of bar. Course. Yeah. And we would, we would call it an out of session contact, but yeah, it would all no, be documented yeah. and you meant, you'd have to. Metaphorically yeah, speaking. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's so much. Okay. So that's problematic. And then yep. her, the man that she's with walks in and she goes, this is my patient, Colin, which like, that's not how, nope. You just broke HIPAA right there. <laughs> sure <Like> did. <laughs> you you cannot identify someone as your patient. They can identify themselves as your patient, but you don't introduce. So you just say like you can say like this is Adam. You're leaving, right? Like you can do something that doesn't yeah. identify the person, but you know, even with Eladio, she like said his name right in front of Adam as well. So that was problematic as well, is she just introduces him as a patient and then lets him sit right over there as they talk and drink mm-hmm. together. Yeah. And, and maybe for clarity here, for people who have not been in therapy before, if you're comfortable sharing, what is your like, if you see me out in public policy? Yeah. Because I think that is something obviously that happens. And this is mm-hmm. the closest thing that I can think of to this scenario that would be more likely to happen in real life. Yeah. So for me, my policy is, um, I will not greet you. I, if you like greet me, I will respond. I will never introduce you to anybody that I'm with and we can't hang out. (laughs) That's basically like my, my interaction. So I like once had a patient who came up to me in a bar and was like, Hey guys, this is my therapist, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yep. <laughs> I like looked, it was, he was with his friends and um, I said, they were like, Oh really? And I was like, that's what he said. <laughs> so even then I was like, I'm not right. confirming nor <laughs> denying in this situation. Right. Um, and then I like Whatever excused said, myself yeah. um, and went away. <laughs> but yeah, so my thing is I won't be offended if you don't greet me. Um, we'll greet you back if you greet me, but I won't say your name. I won't introduce you. Basically, like all your information is your responsibility, whether you share it or not. And I won't introduce anybody that I'm with either. Yeah. And mine is, is almost exactly the same. I, I think it's pretty standard sort of therapists are very unlikely to make that first move. It's like if you see each other in the grocery store, like the therapist is not going to be the person who says, Hey, Colin, it's nice to see you. How mm-hmm. are you doing? Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe some therapists are comfortable with that, but that should be especially if you work in like community mental health, like something that's established in that, you know, those early conversations. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, I've I've run into people in the community as well, and then that sort of next session is always interesting cuz it's like, "Oh, hey, like that was weird. I hope it wasn't weird for you." It was, you know, I, you know, obviously kind of re-explain the policy this is why and this is what happened and mm-hmm. you know any questions or thoughts or feelings after we saw each other in the real world because i think this is something that to kind of bring it back to the show that colin is sort of desperate to get to know brooke beyond the therapy relationship mm-hmm. and and in this fifth episode he has this very casual interaction with her where they're mm-hmm. both drinking and and it's also, um, at least he, as he claims, like sort of very revelatory for him. This is mm-hmm. really powerful, really revealing. And this was like part of his tendency to compliment her over and over mm-hmm. again. And I have to say, this was a, a red flag for me. Anytime yeah. 
someone in the first two or three sessions is like, well, you did it again, doc. Like I had a breakthrough. Uh-huh. It's You're just, so good. You know, yeah, it's just yeah. like not to say that people can't make progress, you know, with in, in sort of minimal therapeutic interactions, because, of course, they can. Mm-hmm. But the sort of way that he put all of that onus on her, it yep. just it felt very much in line with what we came to see as his sort of manipulative personality. Absolutely. Right. It wasn't usually when you do see something happen with a patient like that early on, usually they come back and they say like that thing you spoke about, this is how it showed up in my life differently. Sure. So it, like you mentioned, he didn't talk about how he grew or how things changed for him. It was like, Brooke, this is how wonderful you are and how fantastic you are. And and I, I don't you really get me. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think that week five was revelatory for him. I think he realized that he had the power to put her in an inappropriate situation and have her go along with it. That was a moment of not only that, but then he play. got something he wanted. Yeah. He yeah. he got the sign off. Oh yeah. And he got the sign off. You're so right. And I'm sure he got a little bit of power that she, quote unquote, chose him over Adam as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. She sent, as as Adam rightly pointed out, she mm-hmm. sent Adam to his room so that she could continue to have this interaction with Colin. And I have to say, this was my distrust of Colin. I was sure he never ordered the cab. Oh, yeah. I didn't think he did. And either. that this conversation was just going to like, <laughs> yeah. was going to result in some like crazy blow up. But yeah. I guess luckily for her, the cab was in fact ordered and did show up. But well he was like, I'm gonna cancel that one and I'll order another one. So I yeah. I agree mm-hmm. with you. Like I don't think he ordered it until later. Um when he had gotten what yeah. he wanted from her. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. I there was one moment where um it was a good question and then a bad follow up from Adam. He said to her, what did you do to make him think it's okay to show up here? Now, right, sort of the accusation being, yeah, yep. yeah. So I want to make it very clear that in a um, like a when somebody is aiming at making that victimizing somebody, right, at attacking somebody, it is not the victim's fault for making the person show up there. However, with Brooke, we've figured out that she is not very good at letting people know where the boundaries lie. So I do think that that's a good question. Is like. What role are you playing in making him think it's okay to just show up here? He followed it up with, are you flirting with him? Which is misogynistic and awful in its own way. However, I think that first question is a valid one. And I think as therapists, we often need to check in with ourselves is, what is it about me? What role am I playing in whatever back and forth is happening? Um what role am I playing in that? So if you have somebody who is um, resistant, is there a role that you're playing in that? You know, is it something about your approach or the way that you're asking the questions? Or one thing that Brooke does differently every episode is how she ends the session. It's different every episode. Mm. And the first one, she kind and of it always did it. feels not smooth. Uh-uh. Yeah. And the first one, it felt like a power play. He... We're done. He like yeah. did something. He like did something to try to like gain the power back. And she said, okay, the session's over. I'll see you next week. And I, I kind of in that moment was like, oh, good for her. She like kind of set a boundary of like, I'm not going to put up with your like manipulation. Then the next week, he ended it the way that she had. En- then that was the week he was sitting in her chair. He ended it the way that she had ended it the previous week, which was like, ending it before she could when she was like about to like bring the power back to her side. And then I can't remember how she ended it the next week, but I also remember being like, what's happening? And then the week after that, it felt like a punishment. Like he did something and she's like, okay, fine. Oh, the narcissist over. week. Oh yeah. And yeah. she kind of was like, the I'm done with where, you. And I, I don't have... Well, she and the quote, oh my God, it was like a dagger. She said something to the effect of like, you know, I got to, I got, to the point in my career where I told myself I did not have to treat narcissists <sighs> goodbye um, oh was sort of more or less how that week mm-hmm. ended. 
And yeah, wow. I mean, it really it came back into what we were talking about before of just like, oh my gosh, she is fully emotional right now. And and yeah. as we talked about, like there are times when a therapist sort of having their own emotional awareness is important or even a useful mm-hmm. tool. But this was like a different thing. Yeah. Well, and she's not aware of the role that her emotions are playing. So I'm all for having emotions in session. You need to be aware of them. And she's just simply not. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's so problematic. And I think this is kind of a a left turn, but something that we said made me think about it when she was like, I told myself I didn't have to treat um, narcissists anymore. I think a lot of what he does with her and then ultimately she ends up doing it back to him is like jabbing her right where it pushes a button, right? So what Mm -hmm. she kind of did there was she's like, I'm going to call you a narcissist and then I'm going to kick you out. He said in the first session, like, oh, I've slept with a lot of therapists and he's like, and they're always the, like the naughty ones or whatever he said. And then Mm -hmm. later he said to her, like, I've dated plenty of black women. And he like keeps using these things that like speak clearly to who she is. She never until the drunk episode brings up the fact that he is a white man and she is a black woman that never comes up despite the fact that he keeps referencing her race and her gender and her as a sexual being like he keeps doing it and she never once brings it up and then it ultimately gets to a point where it becomes the thing they fight about and that's so problematic. Like I think particularly this is set right after the Black Lives Matter movement kind of got mm, yep. um, strongly started in 2020. Obviously it existed long before then, but like the the reinvigoration of the movement in 2020. Sure. Yeah. I didn't have a single patient of color where we did not talk about the fact that I was a white woman and they were people of color and there was – plenty of sessions where patients who are also white and I talked about how our therapy and our roles in the world look different because we are both white people. Mm -hmm. And so for that to kind of essentially go undiscussed until it's just them yelling at each other about it, I think is a real disservice to their therapy. Yeah. Yeah. I I totally agree. And I I think it cuts into this point of, or this question of, of honesty, right? Sort of how how important honesty is for for both members of the relationship, right? That when you can lay out in that initial session, hey, look, you're mandated. I imagine that this might, you know, cause you to have certain thoughts or feelings about how this, you know, relationship's uh-huh. gonna play out. Do we want to address that now or we want to see how it goes? Yeah. You know, and and lay it up front. You are a straight white middle-aged male. Yeah. I am a black woman therapist. Like mm-hmm. if you have any thoughts or feelings about that, we can yeah. address that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, I think it's so important because whether that played directly into Colin's dishonesty or not, it feels like it became very easy for him to just sort of, you know, color himself in the way that he wanted the relationship to fit for him. Yeah. Well, and there's also this like faux woke approach, which is I'm going to mm-hmm. mention these things about color and inclusiveness, but I'm not actually going to talk about them. So saying something right. like, I've dated black women, I've donated to the NAACP, right? That says like, I'm woke and I'm comfortable saying it, but they never talk yeah, about the, the fact the, that she should be impressed woman. by that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And right. he does yep. it obviously yep. to manipulate her, right? I've slept with a lot of therapists and they're always the, mm-hmm. I wish I knew the word that he used, but like, yeah, the exciting ones basically. Like he's trying to be incendiary in that moment. He's trying to like see where her boundaries lie. And she rightly calls him a pot stirrer, you know, yeah. when uh, her boyfriend is there. When he hands her the drink. Yes. Yes. Which I think would be a great line in therapy. Like, ooh, it seems to me yes. like you really like stirring the pot. Totally fair. Totally yeah. fair identification. And and we didn't really get into this point, this sort of question of, you know, is it important for a therapist to like their patient? Because it's obvious that that Colin, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not crazy, right? We didn't talk about this. <laughs> no, we didn't talk about at, it. At length. Okay. <laughs> we didn't talk about it at all. Yeah. 
Right, because I think this this was the pattern that kept that Colin kept coming back to is that he does want Brooke to like him, or more than that, as we find out in <laughs> episode six. And I think it's a totally fair question for patients or prospective patients to ask, like, you know, I, is it okay for me to want my therapist to like me, for to approve of me, to, you know, to think highly of me? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think this is, at least in that initial moment, something that Brooke does fairly well, which is that, you know, trying to get at the, the question of why is it important to mm-hmm. Colin for her to like him. Mm-hmm. Right. And they do get some good insight from some of those discussions. But I also think it's a good sort of broader question. And I think fair for us to say that uh, Brooke does not like Colin, nor should she. And <laughs> she doesn't have to. I don't know but that. But it obviously for sure. impacts the relationship. Oh, interesting. Okay. That's, that's, well, that's maybe that's fair, a fair discussion for us well, to have. <laughs> and the reason why I don't know that for sure is like when she's like sitting on the couch with him with the drink in her hand, she's like, like, has a very kind of like fond like moment with him. And I don't Mm. know if it's just a moment or not. I took that as what, what she later on sort of acknowledges to him, which is that she acknowledges that she likes being challenged by him. And I think this is a very dangerous dynamic in therapy where it's where the therapist sort of sees and she she tries to tell him in those first sessions, like, you're not a puzzle. This is not a puzzle. But she clearly treats him like one. Like, oh, if I can just push the right buttons, just like he's trying to push my buttons. If I can corner him, if I can get him to be honest or, you know, share the truth that he's been lying about, that we can kind of break this open. And I, 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 I guess that's how I took it. Not that she likes him so much as she likes the game that's being played that's fair yeah i don't know what she's thinking ever yeah i know i know <laughs> but to the question of so you kind of you mentioned the question is it necessary for a therapist to like their patient and then you said another question which was is it okay for a patient to want their therapist to like them yes, or I did. respect yep. them or things that's two separate questions totally and i think if a patient doesn't need or want any kind of positive feeling or positive reinforcement from their therapist, then what are they doing there? Like, Mm. then, then, like, then why aren't they talking to a stranger? You know, if they truly don't care what the therapist thinks, then, then why? So I think it would be I would be intrigued if somebody was with a therapist that they truly didn't care what the therapist thought at all. That being said, (laughs) I don't think that a therapist needs to like their patient. However, I think there's also you need to be able to let your patient know that you don't dislike them as well. Mm, Like I think that's important. I'm feeling very stuck on this question. I thought I like had an answer because my answer is no. The therapist does not need to like their patient. Mm-hmm. But also like rapport does need to exist. So where does good rapport and liking each other start and where does it end? Yep. So I think that is kind of the question to ask ourselves. Thoughts, reactions to what I've totally. said. Totally. <laughs> and I think, yeah. Well, no, I think this, this sort of stereotypical interaction around this is, you know, when a when a patient does want to be liked or does want to know whether or not a therapist likes them, it's just sort of like, well, what do you think about me? Or what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. And like I literally asking for their opinion, um, mm-hmm. not necessarily like a clinical judgment. And, you know, the sort of stereo- stereotypical therapist answer of like, well, why is it important? how I yeah. feel about this or, mm-hmm. you know, what, what difference would it make if you knew my feelings on the matter? Right. And sort of mm-hmm. trying to get at the value, uh, that the patient places in other people's, you know, thoughts or feelings or opinions, um, in their interactions. Like that's the stereotypical kind of way that that's like twisted back to the patients. Like, we'll put it back on them. Like, mm-hmm. you're asking me this question, but I'm not going to give you the answer you're looking for, which is which I think Brooke does try to do from time to time. I I had someone who wasn't my supervisor, but they said this once where they said, if you truly do not like your patient, it means you don't understand their story. Hmm. And I kind of agree with that. And also, I 
don't think that everybody is the right fit for everybody when it comes to oh, sure. any relationship, but particularly therapy. So, you know, there's some patients where I could tell what they really want is kind of somebody to let them small talk for an hour. And I cannot do that. That That's just not like I could do it occasionally. Like if somebody has been doing really good work and they come in and they go, Hey, I'm having a really tough week. Can we just like talk today? I'd be like, sure. Like, absolutely. But there's some people who like come to therapy, but don't want to do therapeutic work. Mm-hmm. And I, I, as a therapist, I just can't do it to me. It feels like I'm taking their money and I'm lying to them basically. So I'm very direct in that. Like sometimes I say like, Hey, I'm a very action based therapist. And it feels like maybe what you want is somebody who's more there just to kind of listen. So let's talk about that and see how you feel about it. And then let's find you somebody else. So it's not that I don't necessarily like them, but I also am like, I, this feels I don't know, incorrect in some way. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a tough balance to strike. Um, but I think that, I mean, it kind of all comes back to those boundaries, right? Of mm-hmm. here's the expectations that we're laying out for this relationship up front. And here's mm-hmm. me following through on that expectation, right? Here's me mm-hmm. adhering to the goals that we set um, and the way in which this relationship would work. Because, mm-hmm. you know, that's what Brooke does not do, right? She says, we're done here. Like now we can kind of talk about the last episode, (laughs) you know, where it's like, she's, you know, she, she acknowledges that what happened in the session non-session was wrong and shouldn't have happened. And Mm -hmm. all that's great. And then we have more inappropriate interactions. And I think Brooke, at least her initial instincts of, you know, we shouldn't be working together are right on. Uh No, of course you shouldn't be working together for so many reasons. And yet that is not what we get. (laughs) No, I think that some of our bonus material should be me publishing my notes when I'm watching these things. (laughs) So in this, in week six, first of all, there's a a lot of swearing. And then I also, uh, I wrote like, I hate every moment of this interaction. I'm so uncomfortable. And then with periods, I wrote, kick him out. Get rid of him. And then my next line says, I'll see you next week. (laughs) Because she spends the last 10, 15 minutes of the session getting literally walking him out the door, telling him that it's done. And then she says, I'll see you next week. Yep. I could not believe it, especially... When we look back at Eladio, where she ended things with him and said, here's referrals, and then he showed up next week and she's like, okay, you're right. It's not over. It's that continual like using – basically being a kid that was like, I don't love you anymore. And then when you want something, being like, just kidding. Yes, yes. Like that's how it feels. Yeah. Like get out of here. I never want to work with you again. Never mind. Now that you've said a nice thing, I'll work Well, right. And it's sort of reductive to this one moment of, oh, you finally unlocked this truth within yourself. So now obviously we can do the real work now that you know or that you've Mm -hmm. admitted that, what does he say? I think people are stupid. Right? I think I'm smarter than I think everyone. I'm smarter yeah. than, you know, that that's supposed to be this grand revelation right. that that's unlocking the mm-hmm. inner versions of him that will actually be able to be uncovered mm-hmm. and he'll be honest. And now this dynamic between them won't exist anymore. They'll be able to just move on from his yeah. blatantly inappropriate, you know, sexual advance. Yep. In the same session where he tells her that he like casually raped women oh, in the yeah. 80s. Oh, yeah. And and right. And and I think we, we are also aware, going back to the previous episode, he obviously wrote that very threatening letter to that tech writer, right? We could clear on that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So this is this yeah. is a guy. And you know, and I was gonna ask you because there were moments where I had kind of my head hands up on my face because I didn't feel like she was safe. And it wasn't necessarily just Uh-oh. because it was in her house. Like I just like there was there was super unsafe vibes going on. 
I, that's so funny. In watching that sixth episode, I was like, I wonder how I feel differently about this because I'm a woman compared to Ryan was actually like a okay, thought that, that I had. Okay, because maybe that's and what the conversation I was going to sort of have there is. is Totally, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. at no point felt like aggressively unsafe for her. However, I did feel very much like, well, I, I made the comment, right? Like he he made this sexual advance on her in the same session where he talked about casually raping women, yes. right? Like he's like, oh, we all did it in the 80s, yep. but it wasn't considered rape back then. And and I really like in that moment, she goes, it doesn't matter. It's still rape. Yeah. So she yeah, did yeah, that really for sure. well. I felt kind of unsafe for her in that kind of way of like he – is clearly expressing that he has no problem disregarding women and just seeing them as objects mm -hmm. and putting them in uncomfortable positions. Even one of my notes is, oh my God, he's so awful. He's so gross. Oh my God, no, yep. mm -hmm. <laughs> was, one of my, was one of my comments. So I would say unsafe in terms of being a woman. Yes, I felt unsafe for her. Unsafe in terms of like her physical safety, not really. However, I would never let that man near me again. Right. Ever. Of course. Yeah. And it's – I can't believe she does let – like at the end of the session when he has this like re revelation and he's like, I love pussy but I hate women – and he's like, I think I'm smarter than everybody. I would be like, absolutely. Like, I think fantastic. Great That's a great breakthrough. Yep. And the next therapist that you work Spot with, there. <laughs> sign a release of information and I will share this yes. insight with them. Yes. Like, I literally would be like, goodbye. I will be your doctor in that I will pass your information on. If you would like me to email you referrals, I will email them to you. Do not come pick them up. Yeah. <laughs> like I would absolutely never I would I would never first of all, I hope it would never get to this of point. Course. However, like he basically tears her down after that moment of when she like when she says like, no, this is never gonna happen. He's like, Oh, come on, all you wanna do is like rip my clothes off. She really needed to like shut things down in that moment and and she kind of got into a fight with him rather than setting a boundary and kicking him out yeah or yeah and i guess it in it, some fashion and and my my sense of her being unsafe honestly and and i'll try to check my bias here but it didn't even necessarily have as much to do with the sort of male female dynamic and this probably comes back from you know again my my work in in the sort of therapeutic community world mm -hmm. where you know fights and things would happen but we were also trained to be mm -hmm. kind of acutely aware of the space, the physical space between, you know, staff and and patients. Mm -hmm. yeah, and any time he was up out of his seat or she was up out of her seat, I was just I, I felt on edge a little bit. Like I don't know what's going to happen between these two, but I don't like it. I want them to be sitting down six feet apart again. So, mm -hmm. and and I think you're probably right well, that she was boundaries. she was never really in any necessarily physical danger, mm -hmm. but. And if any, if there was any moment in which she was most a changer, it was probably when they were both drinking on the couch next to each other, right? If we're being honest. Yeah. In a very inappropriate way. Yep. So, so to, you had kind of said like his comments it to you, it didn't really feel like a, a female male kind of thing. So to be fair, like rape isn't about that either, right? No, I know. Like, That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Rape is not about sex. Right. It's about power. Yes, exactly right. And so, so is he sexually attracted to her? I don't know. And quite frankly, I don't care. Sure. He's doing a power play mm -hmm. with her. Yep. Like he's trying to get her in a position where he gets to kind of be like, haha, I mm -hmm. did it. And it was almost a disservice to the idea of erotic transference. I agree. That... She then said, like, oh, no, this is totally normal. It happens all the time. I'm sorry. It absolutely does not happen all the time that patients try to kiss their therapists. Mm -hmm. Sure, there might be sexual thoughts or, like, feelings of romantic attraction or things like that because, as she explained, a therapist's whole job is to 
kind of fill in some relational needs. However, what happened between them is absolutely not normal. Right. And so she does a disservice, to be fair, the writers of the show mm-hmm. do a disservice to something that is totally normal for many people. And I think that that's very clear that we should speak to that because Mm -hmm. if you have these thoughts about your therapist, it's not the same as what Colin did at all. If you feel comfortable and feel that it affects the therapy that you do with your therapist, bring them up. Yeah, If they're a good therapist, they need to be able to talk to you about it. I was going to say the same thing. You know, good, good therapists can walk you through that emotional experience without it necessarily damaging the therapeutic relationship. There might still be need for a referral out and things like that. That might still be perfectly appropriate, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't have to be this thing that sort of totally breaks progress that's been made and things like that. Absolutely. And it doesn't also mean that it has to come with a referral out either. It totally depends on the patient and the therapist and the relationship and all of that. Yeah. Well, thank you for putting into words what I was trying to say, because I do think um, like, I don't want to minimize the sort of, uh, as you said, erotic transference that was going on or the inappropriate behavior mm-hmm. from a narcissistic male towards a female therapist. But but for me, it was just sort yeah. of like, man, this is this is some really just uncomfortable interactions. And there are so many opportunities along yeah. the way for us to prevent the point that it got to. And I'm very worried about where it's going to get to now afterwards. So apparently they're going to continue working together, although we don't get to see any of that. Not that we'd want to, but I'm just I'm just worried for fictional uh, Dr. Taylor. I, I completely agree. I What's so funny is there was one in the fifth week where um, where he showed up and they drank together. I wrote a line that said, I noticed that the beginning of how this episode started made me zone out because I felt like nothing good or meaningful could happen from yep. this. So I like there was like a whole like middle section of the episode where I just was zoned out because I was like, I don't care what they're talking about. This is awful. Like I hate all of it. And then I like paid attention a little bit and I was like, oh, they're actually kind of talking about some meaningful stuff. And then that made me angry because I was like, no, that can't <laughs> happen in a situation like right. this. But Again, it's a show, so it takes things that are really meaningful about therapy, and then it takes things that are incendiary and dramatic and entertaining, and it puts them together. And I think that's fun to watch and a disservice to. Right, because this is also not therapy. how therapy works in in many ways. Nope. You know, it's it's these sort of like doorknob revelations. Okay, even though you just came on to me, we'll keep working together. Like this is so super ultra dramatized. And I I would hope that no audience takes this takes this as like certainly not an appropriate dynamic, but hopefully not also not a very realistic one. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I and I, I certainly there are certainly therapists out there who struggle with their own things that show up in therapy. However, if you're finding that your therapy sessions sound like a TV show, consider maybe getting somebody else. Yep. <laughs> that's just my suggestion. <laughs> well said. And maybe that's a good place for us to end today's discussion on in treatment with Colin. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, Ryan, on a scale from one to five powerful therapists' chairs, how accurate did you think this was uh, a representation of how therapy is from either Colin's mental health side or Brooke's reactions to him? Yeah, so I struggle with this a little bit, and I'm going to kind of cop out by going right down the middle, but here's <laughs> my, my logic for it. So I'm going 2.5, and that's because... I think Colin, as a client, as, is absolutely a client that happens and exists in the real mm-hmm. world. There are people who are mandated into treatment and who push boundaries and are resistant and all these mm-hmm. different kinds of things. So I think that that was right on. Like as a character representation of what a client in that situation might be like, totally fair. <laughs> My my reason that I then don't go for more accuracy is because I'm, and this is really just hopeful, I really hope that these kind of sessions are not happening oh out there gosh. in the real world. 
for both of their sakes, for Colin and for for Dr. Taylor's sakes, because mm-hmm. it's, you know, not only we, we covered all of it, you know, in the, in the house, the drinking, the meeting of the boyfriend, all of these things are, you know, really not great uh, yeah. for the therapeutic relationship. So mm-hmm. I'm going to say that that's not accurate because it's not appropriate. Yeah, that person would lose their license pretty quickly. Right, exactly. So this is yeah. not a good representation of of an accurate therapeutic interaction. Yeah, makes total sense. Even though it was, you know, an uh, entertaining one, perhaps. Mm-hmm. On that note, Haley, <laughs> mm-hmm. on a scale of uh, zero to five alcoholic drinks with your client, oh, <laughs> how uh, entertaining did you find these number of sessions between Dr. Taylor and Colin? Yeah. So I'm giving it a one. Mm. And the reason why I give it a one is because I watched it. <laughs> um, yep. But what I feel is when something's entertaining, whether you like the characters or not, you kind of have to be interested in their story. And I just wasn't. Like, I felt their interactions so unenjoyable and so unlikable that I like wasn't even entertained. I was just unhappy and uncomfortable. So I did not find it entertaining at all, you know, compared to like the way she was with like Eladio. Mm. That was like maybe uncomfortable and there are things I didn't love, but you know, he was just still so lovable and her love for him was fun to watch. I just found the interactions with Colin and Brooke so painful that I was like, I'm not even enjoying myself. <laughs> um, so they, yeah, I was going to describe it as cringy as well. Oh, so so cringy. Yeah, yeah, right there with you. Yeah. So not great. Yeah, but and and that's what this show is sometimes, I think, at this point. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's okay. We're going to break all of it down one client interaction at a time. And, yeah. and we appreciate all of our listeners coming along for the ride with us. Absolutely. And next week we are going to do Layla. And actually we're going to be able to have a guest with us next week, my friend Carmen Thulin. Yes, very excited about that. Really getting to some some different topics from from Colin and Eladio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for listening. Please follow us at Popsych101 on the socials. And we'll speak to you soon. And we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>